Amen. That's right. And we will continue praising him as we go to the word of God as well. And so let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and prepare our hearts for the preaching of the word. Let's pray. Well, God, we come before you this morning and we rejoice in you. We rejoice in all that you have done. We glory in all the truths that we have sung this morning. And we look to you as our hope, as our life, as our joy, as our portion and our prize above anything else in this world. And so may it evermore be so as we go to your word here in just a moment. But we seek your face, Lord, and we seek you and we come giving thanks, recognizing it is right and it is good to give thanks to you for you are worthy of all praise and all honor and all adoration. And so, Father, we pray that as we pray that our hearts would be filled with just that, with hearts of thankfulness, hearts that just recognize that you have made us, you have created us for you and for your glory. And so when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to uh, knowing Christ, following Christ, these are not just side things in our life. Christ is to be our all, and so may that be the case evermore this morning. Or perhaps if there's someone here who doesn't know you or online, who doesn't know you, that they would see the depth of their need for this one Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we come recognizing that we are all restless until we find rest in Thee. We need You. And so we pray that You would lead us and and help us and comfort us this morning. We pray that You would help the lost, that their eyes would be opened, that You'd help us who know Christ, that we would see all the more the glories of the truths from your word. And so help us in right now as we are praying together, each person that we would just say, yes, I'm, I'm ready to receive your word and I'm ready to hear it from the Bible for when scripture speaks, God speaks. And so we pray that we would receive wholly your word this morning. Amen. And so we look to you now and we ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John this morning. We'll be continuing in John 14, and we'll be finishing John 14 as well. And so John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. We'll turn there. So today, as you know, it is Palm Sunday. And so even as Dennis read a moment ago, we have heard that from John's gospel already. And so we read that, you know, a while back. I guess it was maybe a few months ago now. But in John's gospel, how Jesus, you know, entering Jerusalem and how, you know, the people, they happily and gladly shouted those words that we heard a moment ago. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And if you remember from You know, weeks ago now, Hosanna means give salvation now. And so this longing 
for the Savior. And we saw that in this kind of joyful and triumphal entry. Yet, as they did in their rejoicing and everything else, we also saw at the same time the storm clouds were gathering also. We saw that the the vultures were beginning to circle their prey and we didn't just know that. Jesus knew that also. He knew what lied ahead for him. He saw beyond their praises and their palm branches and he knew exactly what was coming. He knew of the reviling and the insults that were soon and very soon going to come and pour down upon him very really, very truly, and very soon. Well, now in the Gospel of John, we're not there in respect to his actual suffering on the cross and these things, but the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so the time in John's gospel is near, even right around the corner. And so it is then that Jesus, he tells his disciples, as we saw there in John 13, and he's kind of going into, as we go into our passage here, you know, little children, hear my words, take them to heart. I am about to go, but know this, I will not leave you alone. And so that sets for us then the trajectory for which we are going into our verses this morning where Jesus, he provides this comfort for troubled hearts. And so let's read here then beginning in verse 15 of chapter 14. And we'll be reading until the end of the chapter. So may the, may the spirit, even as we sang, lighten our, our eyes that we may clearly see and fully receive God's inspired word this morning. Amen. So John 14, 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Amen. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, in you, in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to me and make our home, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
Whoever does not love me does not keep my, my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I'll no, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let us go from here. Amen. So Jesus' words, which we, I alluded to kind of as we began, and you see there in John 13, at the end of John 13, those words that he told his disciples, they just rock them to the core. You know, he's going away and they cannot follow. So they had, they had been with Jesus now three years and now he is telling them that he is going away and they cannot go where he is going. And, and just to put this a bit in perspective, this may be, you know, compared to like telling your child, you know, we're, we're getting ready to go into that crowd right there. And I'm going to just go, and you can't follow. I'm just going to leave you right in the middle of the crowd, and I'm just going to go, and you don't follow me, and you can't follow me. I mean, just, just think about, I mean, you may be a, a child here, but just think about for yourself when you were a child, or if you are a child, what you would be feeling if your mom or dad told you that, right? I mean, trouble big time, you know? Fears galore are going everywhere in your heart. I mean, what? I mean, you're going to leave me right in the middle of a crowd and all these people I don't even know? I mean, that, that's troubling, isn't it? And it would be troubling. I mean, I mean, a lot of questions like, why are you leaving me? I mean, how will I make it without... You being there, I mean, how will I survive this? I mean, what will I do? Where will I go? I mean, so you see, they're troubled, and they're rightly troubled. Their lives, at this point, they had become interwoven with Jesus' life here. And even as we saw earlier in John's gospel in John 6, there was nowhere else for them to go. What did they tell him? What did Simon Peter say to Jesus? I mean, where else, where we go, Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life in John 6, 68. And so they are just all in, in following Jesus. And so they are troubled. 
what are we going to do? And all these questions. And yet, Jesus here, he provides comfort for them right before all kinds of things are getting ready to go down. Right before the raging storm of sin and of suffering and of God's wrath come upon him. He's giving them, this, giving them these words of comfort. However, here also, Jesus makes clear for whom his comfort and consolation is given. Now, his comfort here, it's not for just anybody. This comfort, this consolation, it is for those who know Christ. It is not for those who do not know the Lord, but it's for those who do. It is not for the world. Now, as we kind of proceed through these verses, I want to kind of prepare you a bit for what lies ahead. There may be two responses to what lies ahead here for what Jesus is going to say. And the first may make you shift in your seated bed. And I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit side of things, even though that may make you shift in your seat a bit. But I think there's actually something else which we're going to talk about in just a minute that I think may cause you to shift in your seat a bit. And so that is, it may challenge you that if your feet are not on the solid rock of Christ, but they're deeply sunk into sinking sand, they may cause you to be like, whoa, I don't know if I, if I quite like the way he's saying these things because my life doesn't look like that. So that may cause some of you perhaps to shift in your seat a bit. But then on the other side, the other part of the response for us also is rightly to cause our hearts of the redeemed to say, Amen, Lord, all the more. I want to be these things. I want to do these things. I want to do what you say because I love you, Lord. So we have potentially two responses here as we kind of press on in these verses. And so Jesus, he sets before us then first this portrait. And so here we have first a true portrait of what Christ's disciples look like. A true portrait of what Christ's disciples look like. And so Jesus, he wants us to see this painting. He wants us to see kind of the way it it looks, you know, its colors and its hues and, and, and you know, what it, what it really looks like. It's not, it's not a colorless painting. It's not just kind of this empty, you know, blank kind of canvas. It's not blank. It has color. And so part of this portrait of a disciple, of those who know Christ, is they love him. They love him. And so we see this again and again here in these verses. And, and he's, he's talking, of course, here to his disciples. And, and the promise of the Spirit, which we'll see here in a moment, it's for 
them. Not for anybody. It's for those who know Christ. And so he says of these that these will love him. And so he says then in verse 15, if you love me. And then in verse 21, he it is who loves me. And then in verse 23, if anyone loves me. And so this, this love, it's not, it's not a blank canvas. It's, it's full of color. It's full of life. It has, it has this flesh and it has blood. You know, it, it breathes. It's, it's alive. It's a, it's a love that is all-encompassing. It, it runs through your veins kind of love. Like it's all of me. It's not just like part of me. It's everywhere in me kind of love. And if you wonder about this, we've already seen this a number of times in the, in the Gospel of John as well as we see it all over the place throughout the New Testament, but just to give you a few examples here, so recall Jesus' words from John 12, 25, where he said, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So you won't do that if Jesus is just kind of a hobby for you. You know, you just, this, this whole Jesus thing, you know, I, I'll, I'll kind of tip my hat to him, you know, and maybe I'll, I'll kind of go to church every so often, but really, Jesus doesn't mean all that much to me. He's more like a hobby, like on the side for me, instead of John 12, 25. So Jesus doesn't really provide that option for us. Or consider this maybe as well, and just perhaps to add another kind of tier to that, another level to it, you know. So let me just ask you practically, how much do you love your mother or father, you know, your husband or wife or your children or maybe, you know, someone really close to you, your grandmother, grandpa? I mean, how much do you love them? Do you love them a lot, you know? Well, Jesus says... In Matthew, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So you see, this, this is not a hobby kind of love. This is not a slight and small kind of love in your life if you know Christ. And this is part of why so many people on the day of judgment are be so, so surprised. Like, I never knew you. Depart from me. Yes, you said, Lord, Lord, but no, no, you didn't really know me. It's because this is the kind of love, this is the kind of way people who truly know Jesus Christ are not perfect, my oh my, not perfect, but this is what we'll have running through our veins. It's a love that is distinct. You know, Jesus, he stands alone in your heart. You know, when, when people go swimming, and I know you probably 
have done this. I know I have done this too. You know, what they'll often do is, you know, before you take a dive into the pool, you know, you might put your, your foot in there and kind of dip it in to see, you know, how cold the water is, you know, is it, is it too cold? And you might jump in anyway, but, you know, you're just checking to see, you know, how cold it is. Well, this, what Jesus is talking about here, this is not a dipping kind of your toe in kind of love. It's taking the plunge kind of love. It's jumping in wholly and fully your whole self. This is my love for Jesus. It's just everything. You want to you wanna know who I am? This is, this is it, me. I love Jesus. Amen. It's a going into the pool, your whole self kind of love. And so, yes, of course, our love is not perfect. It's, it's a messy sort of love, and every one of us know that's true. But our heart belongs to him. My heart is yours, Lord. I am messy, and I know I don't love you fully as I should, but I, it's all yours. My whole self is yours. All the mess of it is yours, and I give you it all. That's the kind of love we have for him. And it's not just a kind of a past tense love. You know, I used to. It's a present tense love. Jesus, he says, if you love me. Present tense. Now. And this is always, this is always where Jesus is aiming for us believers. He is always, always, always aiming for your heart. Again and again, he is always going to be pressing you on that. Yes, your life has this, but it, is your heart empty? You know, this is some of the, the many rebukes he gives in Revelation to all these churches. You know, yeah, you've got the works, but where is the heart? And so we see it again and again. We see it in the Beatitudes, you know, in Matthew 5. And so, you know, Jesus, he says there, you know, don't murder, yes, but are you angry at someone else? Are you, are you bitter towards someone else in your heart? Is your heart, is it burning against someone else? Again and again, he's saying, I want you, saints, to deal with your hearts. And then he goes on, he says, yes, that's right, don't commit adultery, but are you lusting after someone in your own heart? You may not be doing the act, but are you doing the act in your heart already? Go deeper, saint, what is going on in here? So he's kind of, he's just calling all of us then to treasure him, to treasure him, and not to hobbies, not making Jesus a hobby of ours. And so his disciples love him, and that's part of the beauty of this portrait, and then also, we see from that love, they obey him. They obey him. And so the result, the outflow, the overflow 
of that love is obedience. And so he says in verse 15, to complete each one of these, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So part of the portrait of a believer is they will obey their Lord. They will obey Christ. It's part of the color and the hues of their life. It's, it's in there. And, and yes, they won't perfectly obey, but they will obey. We will obey. Yes, I'm not going to be perfect in this life, but I will obey my Lord. And I want to obey my Lord. And we don't do that to be saved, but we do that because we are saved. Even as we just sang, you know, salvation, it is in Christ alone. He alone is where our hope is found. And he saves not because we loved him like before you came to Christ. It wasn't because you loved him. In fact, you didn't love him at all. But because he loved us. Amen. John, he tells us, in his letters in 1 John 4, 10, he says this, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then if you just look a little bit over in verse 19 of 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. So by him having pursued us and because he did that you're alive in Christ by faith so so now because he did that you love him and flowing from your love for him what do you do you obey him so in view of this portrait that we're given here of those who know Christ as a, a follower of Christ, then let your love for him abound in obedience. Let your love for him abound in obedience. So out of love, keep his words. Obey. <laughs> now, I just wonder, you know, even in just saying that, I wonder how you hear me in that. You know, if you, if you hear the word love in the first part, and you just kind of say, yeah, you know, that's great. Yes, I got that. That's fantastic. But then when you hear the word obey, you just kind of cringe, you know, like, Ugh. you know, I don't know about that part, though. You know, obedience, is that... I mean, isn't that just equal to legalism? Isn't that what we mean by obedience? Well, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. And I just want to kind of push, even as I encouraged you at the beginning, that, that if you're hearing it that way, you know, if you're hearing obey like, 
then something is off. Something is off. And it could be, you know, that you're simply just struggling with your heart. You're struggling and wrestling with some idol that you're dealing with as a believer. You know, and you're, you've got to fight the battle. You know, you need other saints to come around you and encourage you, pray for you. You know, you need to ask them for help and like say, man, I am struggling with this. Can you pray for me and help me? I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've done that. And when I've struggled perhaps for weeks and then I just confess it to another believer, I mean, like within the next day or two, I'm already kind of on the road to being better. John 5 or James 5 calls us to do that. So it could be, could be that you're just struggling with that or it may even be your view of God. It may be off. You might see God as some, you know, despot. You know, he, he commands and like pushing a button in a factory, you just kind of do it, you know. He's the tyrannical God who tells you and you just got to do what he says. Or you may just think, you know, it's just all dry. Or perhaps, you know, God's just, just mean, you know. When he gives those commands, he's just being mean. Let me just say that's not a good way to view the words of our Lord. While dictators today might press their thumb against you, that is not the way that we are to receive the words of Christ. Instead, read Jesus' words here Again, if you love him, the fruit will fly. His words, you take them and they are good words to your soul. And you say, yes, I need them. I want to be that. They aren't the words of someone with a gun to your head, but the words of him who loves you, who sought after you himself, and he himself snatched you out of the fire. Amen. You know, while we were speeding ahead at full speed away from God and towards judgment and toward his rightful wrath, it was his hand that reached out and snatched you from disaster and from hell and God's wrath forever. Amen. And so it would be that he, Christ, would bear the full force of God's judgment and wrath upon himself for you. That wave of wrath against himself. And so he is no dictator. He pursued you, brothers and sisters, in the Lord. And so now, having received him, having been born from above, we love him, we live for him, and we gladly and gratefully belong to Christ. Just thank you, Lord, that you did all that for me, even though I would not have loved you outside of you pursuing me. And so this is the tone of our obedience. So it's not a kind of thing. It's, oh, Lord, give me your words. I want to eat them up. 
I want, to, I want them in my life. And so abound. Just do that. Eat up his words. Delight in them. Do them. Let them be in your heart. Receive his words that way. Now, there may be something else, though, that is off here as well. There's another reason why this may land on you oddly. And here, especially in America, we must deal with this question that may make you kind of shift in your seat a bit. And the question is this, genuinely consider a hard question, do you obey him at all? Do you obey him at all? I'm afraid that for some, they're just simply fooling themselves. That they know Christ. You know, before when I, when I said you won't perfectly obey, you just grab that. I mean, you come away from the sermon, that's what you're keeping with you. you they won't perfectly obey, you know. And that, that's right, we won't. I mean, that, that's true, but we're not to live that way. You know, it's right. I'm not perfect. I sin. In fact, I sin all the time. But hey, you know, no one's perfect. That's right. Yes. But if that's what you just grab and that's kind of your, your mentality and that's what you, the way you live your life, you know, there, there's no real effort. There's no real desire for obedience in your life at all. <sighs> Warning sign. You just kind of, you know, maybe hear his words and you just dismiss them. There's no hint of urgency to the second part here. You will keep my commandments. He didn't say that we might. He said that we will. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Not perfectly. So hear me there. We have all in the New Testament to see that. I mean, you look at how Paul is writing to all the churches and they're just one big old mess everywhere, especially 1 Corinthians. My goodness, they were a mess and yet he calls them what? Saints. So we admit all that, but we also don't need to excuse ourselves as we so often do when we may not even know Christ at all and just taking comfort in the fact that I'm not perfect and yet... In doing that, you just, you really don't even know him. You don't even care if you disobey him. We will. And so be careful. Genuinely consider his words. Jesus says in verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So if you think you have the first part, but you don't have the second part. Genuinely question, genuinely consider that question. Do you obey him at all? So honestly ask, what do your feet look like? A tree without fruit? Is it a, a blank canvas? Is it just a mere profession and nothing else? Do you know Christ? Do you know him? And if you do, an outflow of that will be obedience. Your life will be different. So, is it 
is it different? Love for him will mean it will be different. And so with that point, firmly before us, you know, this is, he's writing to those who know him. Next, Jesus comforts his disciples. And so we see then, we will not go on alone. We will not go on alone. So as their hearts are troubled, you know, they're, they're wondering all the things that, you know, we said before, you know, why is he going? I mean, how, how will we make it without him? How will we survive? I mean, what will we do? Where will we go in the midst of all these questions and this troubled heart? Jesus, he comes and he provides these comforting words for him and for them here. And so he tells them that he will not leave them simply to kind of fend for themselves. So he doesn't say, I'm going, you know, I did all that salvation stuff, but now it's just all up to you. All the rest, you do it. No, that's, that's, not, that's not what he says here. And just by that alone, that's comforting. <laughs> you know, thank you, Lord, for not just leaving us to just kind of do this on our own. He doesn't say that. No, he tells them directly, they will not be orphans. They will not go on alone. You know, and this, this reminds me of Moses, you know, and how Israel, they had committed this grievous sin and had, you know, made this golden calf and they bowed down to it and, and worshipped it. And, you know, Aaron is over here saying, well, I don't know what happened. It just kind of popped out, you know. I don't know how this golden calf was made, you know, just kind of happened. And, and all this is going on and, and they sinned so grievously against God. And so God, he tells Moses, his presence will not go with them anymore. I mean, that's Wow, and, and, and so Moses, he, he says in response to that, as we completely understand, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here in Exodus thirty-three fifteen. Well, all of us, not, not just Moses, could well say the same thing. You know, if Jesus would die for us, yet not go with us to the very end. Woe to us. We need you to go with us. We can't go forward without you. But Jesus, he doesn't say that he's going to do that. He's going to have us go forward without him. He provides two comforts for the disciples here. And the first he makes clear is they will see him again soon. They will see him again soon. And so he tells them in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, as much as we may want to think that's talking about the second coming, it's not. <laughs> He's talking about next Sunday, Easter Sunday. He's talking about his resurrection. And so he goes on in verse 19 through 20. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, like, soon, 
you're going to see me again. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know in what day? That day when he rises, and that day you will know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So he will come back after he died. He dies, he is buried, and he is resurrected, and he will appear to them even as he does. And this is reason to rejoice. As he says in verses 27 and 28 here, he, he is going to the Father, and in his going, he lives, leaves peace with them. And the world doesn't know that peace, he says, but if you know Christ, you know that peace. And so that's the first comfort he gives them. And then the second, he comforts them with the truth that the Holy Spirit will be given. The Holy Spirit will be given. And and so for those who love him, with that point we saw just a minute ago, those who know Christ and not for anyone else, the Holy Spirit will be in them. And so he will ask the Father, and the Father will give the Holy Spirit to us. Now, as you well know, there is certainly much confusion over the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, but Jesus, he would not have us to be uh, ashamed of the Holy Spirit, nor would he have us avoid God's words on the Holy Spirit, which are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so he spends chapter 14 through 16 in bringing up the Holy Spirit again and again, as we'll see in the weeks ahead. And so we see we are not to ignore God. <laughs> and so we are told a number of truths here about the Spirit. And the first is this. He is the paraclete. Not parakeete. If you're wondering what he just said, uh, it's paraclete. And so the word here, Greek, the Greek word for here for helper is that word, paraclete, in verse 16. So this, this is not an easy word. It's kind of like a diamond, you know, it's, it's multifaceted. There's many kind of different facets to it. And, and so you may turn it over and you'll see kind of it, it conveys advocate, which is interesting, isn't it? Jesus is our advocate. Yet when you turn it over again, it conveys other words as well. So it, it, other words it may convey are words that you may have in your translation like intercessor, comforter, or ESV, helper, or counselor. And so it has all these kind of facets to the word. And that's why I just say, put it before you, paraclete. Let's take that word and see that this is speaking of the Spirit. And, and so yet, even as we see all of those facets to the word, it also has this kind of legal sense to it. What does that mean? It's, it's, it's like someone who stands beside someone in court, kind of advocating for another, kind of like a, a friend coming along with you and advocating along the way. So what does all that mean? I mean, how can we wrap our minds around this multifaceted word? Well, 
we see that it is saying the Holy Spirit will be with us. He will be for us and he will help us. He is beside us. But even more than that, incredible, incredibly, he is in us right now if you know Christ. Amen. And he comes alongside us and he tells us again and again, Jesus is enough. Look to Christ. Jesus is sufficient. He is enough. He alone saves. And so he advocates in pointing us to our advocate. And see as well here that important for us to see this, that he is a he and not an it. He is a person, the third person of the Godhead, and he will be with us forever, as Jesus says in verse 16. And so we see he is God. And so we see Paraclete 1 and then 2. And kind of briefly on this one, he is also the spirit of truth, it says of him in verse 17. And so that is he does not lie, but he leads us into the truth. And, and you remember just a minute ago in what passage, verse 6? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so the Spirit will lead us to that, to the truth, to Jesus. And so he is the Spirit of truth pointing us to Christ. And then also we see he is our teacher in verse 26. It says of him in verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. To you. Now we need to see here that these words are speaking directly and talking directly about the disciples, the eleven. This is the Spirit. What He will do for them is He will teach them all things and He will bring to their minds all the words Jesus told them. And this is exactly what He did, right? What did He do? The words that we are reading right now from uh, jo- the Gospel of John this Sunday is evidence of that very fact. Amen. He brought all these things back to their mind where perhaps on the human side of things we would have forgotten. The Spirit comes and leads them and helps them remember this is what Jesus said, this is what He did, this is who He is. And so the New Testament as well is evidence of this also. And so the Spirit of God, He did all of that. Now He he also does this with us, except in a different way. He doesn't give us like new revelation 
But what he does is even as we sung in that song, he, he brings light, he illuminates and, and brings to mind all that Jesus has said in his word, in scripture. So this isn't, this isn't saying here, like, you know, go throw out your Bible because, you know, I've got the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't, I don't need this Bible anymore. I've got the Spirit of God with me to lead me and teach me all the words of Christ. And just big no. <laughs> That's not at all the way we should come away from this. This isn't saying that, nor that you don't need preachers and teachers, because let's just remember who told us that we need those. The Holy Spirit in Scripture. Nor is this saying, you know, go and dream up all varieties of new revelation. Go and write up a book of Mormon and say it's from God. The Spirit's not saying or will lead us to do any of those things. The Spirit leads us to, He leads us by, and He leads us according to the Bible. God's Word in Scripture. Now in seeing these three truths, we aren't to think that, that this is just all dry, you know, like when you hear all this, you know, it's just sawdust. You know, that, that's, that's the, spirit, the Spirit of God, His work in you. That's what your life will look like. It's just all dry, you know. There's no life to it. It's just, just sawdust, dry, lifeless, you know, nothing. That's not the way God works in us. The Spirit is lively in those who know Christ. You know, Jesus, he told us earlier in John 7, 37, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So you, you won't be a desert Church, you'll be a river. His, his presence in us, he enlivens us, he, he leads us, he sanctifies us. He, he brings a real experiential word-centered communion with God in Christ. So a church, is as we come and gather together, that means that we can worship God lively, that we can, it's not just this dry kind of sawdust-oriented worship. It is, Lord, I love you. I'm just going to pour out my heart because I love you. And that is evidence of the Spirit's work in churches and in our lives. Amen. And honesty confession, repentance. So Jesus then, he tells them and he tells us, you are not alone. You are not alone. He gives us consolation after consolation and assurance after assurance. And you may just need that right there this morning. He has not left you alone. He tells you in verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He tells you, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. 
So if you know Christ, His Spirit is in you right now. You are not alone, and you aren't doing this alone. And the tie is so close to Christ that we see in Scripture that He is called the Spirit of Christ. And so humbly depend on the Spirit of Christ. Humbly depend on the Spirit of Christ. No longer depend on your flesh, but live for the glory of God. Live for Him. You know, after Christ ascended to the right hand of the throne of the Father, He sent His Spirit at Pentecost to be another helper for us so we aren't to go on dependent on ourselves, church. Apart from the Spirit, we would not have been born again. Apart from Him, we would not have new hearts. Apart from Him, we would not love our Lord. Apart from Him, we would not love others. Apart from Him, we would not obey our Lord. Apart from Him, we would deny the truth. Apart from Him, we would not be comforted, helped, counseled. Apart from Him... We would not understand Scripture aright. Apart from Him, we would not be told again and again, Christ is enough. He is your Savior. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Peace He gives to you. Amen. But He's not apart from you. He's in you. And so throw off self, all self-trust, and, and depend on your God. And how will the church thrive? Well, it won't be by ingenuity, innovation, our own power, our own wisdom, our own self. It will be by finding hope, peace, comfort, and revival by the power of the Spirit of God. Amen. So we know then what we need do. We need, out of love for Christ, to follow Him dependent on His Spirit. So may we do just that. Let's pray. Amen. Father, we just, we come before You now and bow our hearts and just pray that you would do your work in us as we've walked through your word. May you help us to confess what we need to confess, repent of what we need to repent of. Help us, Lord, to consider ourselves in light of your word. May your spirit work in us this morning. We ask if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that even now they would see they need you the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And they would put their faith in him. So be with us as we sing and respond in Jesus' name. Amen.